song, Earthlets. My name's Conrad, <laughs> alongside my friend Fox. This is the third episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering May 1977, with progs 11 through 14. We're still running with the initial thrills we had since the start of the comic, so let's get to it. Oh, man, sounds good. So first up, right. we have Invasion. Yeah, man. Invasion continues to be fun, I think. Uh, like, <laughs> and, I've, I've yeah. got to say, the cliffhanger that they left us on with the dogs, like Mad Dogs versus Mad Dogs, is like very anticlimactic. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think it, at least it's good that they're starting to move towards multi-issue storylines and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, if we start off by completing the story for Blast Issue, where uh, Bill Savage, Peter Silk, and some POW guys were being tracked by attack dogs, mutated for murder by those filthy Volgans. It's pretty amazing, uh, yeah. the payoff as to why they pursue them. Yeah, it turns out that um, all the POW guys have, like, blood uh, sewn into <laughs> their POW camp uniform. Because that's how blood that, yeah, and so that means that the dogs can track them by smelling the blood in their clothes. How sinister. Uh, yeah. Luckily. Yes, <laughs> but luckily. Luckily, uh, Volgon hover, Hovercraft comes by, <laughs> which Savage manages to damage with a shotgun blast, of course. <laughs> his shotgun seems to be the panacea for all of his problems. I mean... When all you have is a shotgun, then the whole world looks like something that can be shotgun. <laughs> I feel like we've said that before uh, yeah. at the course of the podcast. Uh, well, Invasion is so wonderful. <laughs> but so Savage, like, the hovercraft, like, pulls up, and Savage is basically freaking pegs the POW guy's uniform into the hovercraft. Which, I mean, which, goddamn. Which causes the... The, the mutant dogs to jump in there too and just start killing everybody and eventually like inside the Volgan hovercraft eventually it just blows up yeah which I mean like I, I'm not even sure how that happened it just there was an explosion and then a bunch of people and dogs are being flown all over the place I, you know it's just what we call uh, in the industry uh, good times I mean just damn but like so that's what I mean there was a little bit of a letdown with the dogs but it still finishes the yeah. one invasion to finish with the with an explosion, usually caused by a shotgun. Indeed. So after that, there's a oh, one-off one the where the mad dogs take control of a train leading to, like, a Volgan liquidation camp, and uh, they, they blow the camp up. It's, it's good times, you know. <laughs> this, this is easily my favorite of the four this week, um, mostly because it, it's, like, a super rushed. Um, they only have a couple of pages to really tell this story, it looked like. Yeah. And uh, so it's like, you know, just step one, like, hey, we're eating at a, what is it, eels and sandwiches or something like that? Eel and pie shop. Ah, Jesus. I mean, maybe maybe I don't understand British culture. Maybe there are some think, things, but. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm chalking it up to, where, like, there's just, they just eat jellied eels, you know? Oh, God, that just sounds so fucking gross. <laughs> Uh, so it really does. So all it is is just like, hey, lady, clear out of here, because we're gonna. And he quite literally says, "Blow up the camp using the train as a bomb." Yeah. They then do that. <laughs> I mean, you can't call them liars, you know. And so the ladies moved her shop, and so like later, Bill's eating another um, like jellied eel or something, <laughs> and 
she, so the lady who owns the shop is like, Glad I took your advice, Bill, and moved me stool. And Bill's like, I am too, Lil. I like me eels jellied, not roasted. Because of the explosion. Because the explosion, it's, obviously. It's just so, and, like, by the way, he's, like, thumbing behind him where there's, like, a burning wreckage. Yeah, he's just pointing to the huge billowing smoke where the liquidation camp used to be. It's a good time. <laughs> so, he, but so he basically destroys uh, a British death camp. With yeah, well, a Volgon death camp killing um, British guys. Yeah, yeah, because these because these Volgons are commie Nazis, you know. They got all the it's just it's all the, the stuff for both of the them. Perfect storm of evil. Let's <laughs> let's put the death camp in the city because we already have trains running there. <laughs> yeah, it's convenient, you know. Oh, okay. Also, in the newly conquered place is where we go to for the for the last two progs, which is a connected stories of um. An assault on a Volgon oh, neutron God, bomb right. test site yeah. in the do- Doomsdale, England. <laughs> Doomsdale, which yeah. Uh, so I was I was kind of like rested up, uh, uh-huh. like reading this. Like I was leaning back on a bunch of pillows, and you know, was maybe fading in and out of, of sleep. And every time I saw Doomsdale, I'm like, why is a place called Doomsday? Like, I got very <laughs> fucking confused. So I had to reread this a couple of times. But this. <laughs> This is uh, this is my second favorite, and it's just because of oh no, maybe it's the next issue. I'm thinking of well, this. It's a two part. It's a two part story. So the first, or it's over two issues. So the first part of the story like starts with like Bill Savage like watching like uh, Prince Charles or King Charles the Third addressing like the resistance and stuff. And some Volgons sort of come up on him watching TV, and Savage just kind of turns around and shotguns <laughs> all of them in the face. It's pretty and then, then the last guy comes to check on his buddies who've just been shotgunned, and he smacks him in the face with the TV and kills them that way. I, it was, it's exactly what you wanted to have happen. Yeah. And so then Savage meets up with the Resistance guy, guys, and um, they sort of meet a courier that says, you know, hey, there's going to be an assault on this neutron bomb test site in Doomsdale. <laughs> so they start heading out, you know. It's the, uh, it's the hang glider, guys. Well, that's, that's the next issue. Exactly. So, so the next issue is all of the Resistance guys drive up to observe this raid that the um, SAS, which, like, you know, is like the Navy SEALs for, the Brit- for, for, for England, basically, um, doing this assault. It doesn't feel right to Savage, and also uh, there's this, like, uh, brigadier general guy, this brigadier, mm-hmm. who's lording it over Bill Savage and being a real jerk to him and oh, stuff. And then they find that weird snitch. Yeah, well then, so like, so the Brigadier's second-guessing everything Savage does, like, you know, it's instead of relying on the numbers. numbers. Yeah, and there's a, there's a big part where, like, uh, the Brigadier says, we can rely on professionals to take down this enemy base. <laughs> Savage, you do what you're good at, which is long-distance driving, and that's BS. Because, <laughs> yeah. Bill Savage is best at killing people. Yeah, I, that's not what I'm just calling in life until like driving is not what he's good at, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so they sort of pull up and they like sort of bump into some random dude who observes them talking about the uh, the assault, mm. and the brigadier's like, "Ah, let him go. It's fine. I vouch for that guy." And that guy immediately runs the Volgons and says, "There's some. There's an assault coming." <laughs> and just for like a small wad of cash. Yeah. In this case, it's the um, the SAA. SAS paragliders. 
or parakites or whatever. Oh yeah, these guys. no, it is the parakites. They like jump out of the back of like a C-130 basically with like hang gliders and are going to hang glide into the enemy base. But because the Vogue, the filthy Vogues have been um, tipped off, they show up with like a, a helicopter and start machine gunning down the god, the the uh, the SAS guys. Until one of them manages to knock the knock one of the planes loose a little bit, and then Savage is able to shotgun the. Uh, yeah, he's not kidding. The chopper. The dude weakens the chopper. Like this happens. This is like a very normal thing for an invasion. Uh, Seriously, yeah, like, from what I've seen, which yeah. is like the the guy. The SAS guy like awesome. fires a couple rounds from his. Oh, sorry, go, oh, go oh, ahead. Oh, sorry, please. Oh, but yeah, the SAS guy fires a couple like bursts from his machine gun at the helicopter just to sort of knock it, like, yeah. hit one of its rotors or something and starts coming down. And then it's flying right towards, like, Savage and the guys. And Savage is just like, here's my shotgun! <laughs> it was already crashing. He just had to kill two more people. Wouldn't have been good if, if he had not, like, sated his, I don't know, possessed shotgun. Well, I mean, he definitely manages to sate it next as he <laughs> they managed to see... The uh, the rat and the guys that he ratted out to sort of driving down the road and Savage just <laughs> kills them, man. The guys, the the, uh, the British, like the, uh, the the rat guys taking his money and Savage is like, you're getting your payoff, all right, scum, in hot lead. It's just so amazing. And so with the um, with the SAS boys down, but the neutron bomb still underway, there's only one thing for it, and that's. To uh, in, take in take out the base, Bill Savage style. <laughs> and that is the and end. the cliffhanger for next week. Yeah, that is the cliffhanger, Bill Savage style, which I guarantee will involve a lot of shotguns and explosions. Uh, this final piece, um, like, kind of signifies this like usual pattern that they have in invasion comics, where it's like, look at these awesome guys, like, go Britain. They're immediately dispatched. And then Bill Savage solves the problem with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that seems reasonable. <laughs> I I just, I have never seen any of these that I just fucking hate. No, man. It's, invasion is remains super excellent. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm surprised because, so even now they're adding in some continuity, right? Like, yeah. we've gone from, I, in fact, all of these were linked, including to the last, uh, the comic from last time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the addition of continuity and sort of building, like, it's not just one-offs of Savage sort of showing up places yeah. and shotgunning people, but making it more of a more of a story and things like that. I, I appreciate that effort. They also, you know? But they also don't ever play it. Like, it's a couple of... Like, no, I mean, at this point, for sure, it's guns. not like a... Yeah, it's not like an operatic storyline or anything like that. <laughs> no, it's Bill Savage fixing problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but hey, let's move on yeah, to Thrill Two Flesh. Oh God! So it's one. So all four, all four progs are just one big storyline in flesh this in, in flesh this month. As the siege of Trans Time HQ wears on, we're introduced to the leader of the Trans Time HQ, the Controller, uh, who's this old dude with a huge head. They really overplayed it, the name too. I loved it. Yeah, he's got a huge head and a huge sense of superiority, so he's got a big head, <laughs> both literally and metaphorically. So amazing. Yeah, so it seems like the activities of Earl Reagan and the rest of the Flesh crew have started to have a, a, a long-term effect on the, uh, on the prehistoric ecosystem, as 
tons of flesh-eating dinosaurs are now starving, and they all converge on the Trans-Time HQ to try to get all the flesh <laughs> stable there. I really do like the, uh, the laser grid. <laughs> yeah, so there's like... But not even like an army of thousands, um, but not even an army of flesh-eating dinosaurs, including pterodons, T-Rexes, uh, furry T-Rexes, which are probably the most realistic dinosaurs in this comic, actually. Awesome. Uh, spinosaurs, terrible claws and terrible hands, which are Dionychuses and Dinoericuses, I guess. And then old One-Eye and her T-Rex pack are able to breach the... Transtime Compound's invisible laser fence, at least at first. The, it's just the scene where you see all of these chopped up, like, Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> it's just like, dang. <laughs> yeah, so there's a big laser grid, and if the, t- and if the T-Rexes or whatever try to walk past it, they get, sh- they get taken down by lasers. It's rough. But eventually, this huge, like, army of giant flesh-eating dinosaurs is able to overwhelm the laser fence... And the uh, workers of Trans Time HQ have to put up like additional barricades and other various lines of defense to hold them back. And they're only able to do so because Earl Reagan convinces the controller to take men off the flesh dozers, the dino slaughter machines, to man the defenses. Of course. All seems good, except it <laughs> seems that a, a, co- yeah, a colony of giant spiders has developed underneath the Trans-Time base, and they've just been getting fat off of the blood uh-huh. that gets sort of the runoff from the slaughter of all the, uh, all, the, all, the, all the dinos for flesh. And so with the machine stopped, they go hungry, and so they burrow up from under the ground, and it's a crazy spider attack. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> like inside, from underground, into the Trans-Time uh, HQ. So the evil claw Carter locks Earl Reagan in a bunk room with the spiders, and Carter and, er- and Earl's buddy Joe try to destroy the spider nest with antimatter launchers. Which, you know, that'll do it, I guess. It's pretty cool. While Earl escapes the bunk room by playing country western music to distract the spiders. Which was amazing. They, they're, they're drawn to sound and stuff. Uh, this week, so the story ends for this month with Reagan managing to convince the controller to send for weapons and reinforcements, when suddenly the dinos begin their final assault. Pterodons from the sky, T-Rexes all around them, spiders from below. <laughs> it's the beginning of the end. And then so, yeah. It gets intense. Like. Yeah, flesh is, is super intense right now, and the dinosaur art is excellent. This is they bring in all these varied dinosaur types. Yeah. And they all start, like, talking to each other and stuff. It's cool. I really liked that whole scene where it's like, ah, the, the alpha male from the woolly T-Rexes and old one-eye. Like, they have yeah. to, like, m- nuzzle up to each other and stuff as they're like, hey, what's up? We're the boss. Yeah, they do the, uh, the traditional locking of jaws that is the meeting of flesh-eating dinosaurs, I guess. So they pretty much, uh, I mean, it's the scenes alone in this of just, like, tons of dinosaurs are pretty friggin' great. The spiders was the best twist. <laughs> yeah, or just big, yeah, like big masses, big armies of dinos, big swarms of, like, giant tarantulas and stuff. There's a lot of good good animal artwork in these in these issues, you know? And uh, also vaporizing or anti-mattering uh, yeah. spiders, which was a really cool shot, I thought. Like, just blown shit up. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, the the one like recurring thing uh, with this, and I think it was like two other series that we've read so far. It's where mm-hmm. there's a person who comes in and they're like, "I know everything." Yeah, they do it yeah, my way, a, and every yeah. single time they just fuck up worse. Yeah, di- yeah, like like authority figures that think they they know everything but are in fact wrong is a continuing theme. Is a big theme this month. It's in it's in uh, invasion mm-hmm. with the brigadier. And that's in at least one uh, scene in uh, Dan Dare, which we'll get to um, soon, oh, yeah. too. Yeah. And I guess maybe even Judge Dredd a little bit, actually. Yeah, he does. But, they, yeah, there is some in that. Yeah, yeah no, it's but true. First, Authority figures are, are jerks and stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're <clears throat> putting out a comic for, like, you know, 12 to 15-year-olds, that's a pretty easy um, choice to make. Yeah, you know? yeah, makes a lot. <laughs> but let's go to Thrill 3, Harlem Heroes. Oh, yeah. So... Pretty good um, hero stuff this week, I think. I think um, so, too. Or, or it, and it's pretty match-heavy as well. Just a lot of like, oh, stuff yeah. going on in the actual events. But, like, like first... Oh, please. Okay. Oh, so, first, we continue the match from last week with the, uh, against the Montezuma's mat- Mashers, where that cyborg guy, Gruber, is attacking the uh, heroes. Mm-hmm. So, Gruber grabs a jetpack, and he manages to uh, smash into one of the secondary heroes, Sammy. Basically ending Sammy's arrow ball career. Yep. And this inspires the heroes to go on a scoring rampage. Awesome. And they beat the Mashers by 14 points, which is an unheard of amount. And then Giant shit talks a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, Giant grabs the camera and, like, yells at whoever's behind this and, like, We're, we'll take you down. But then whoever is behind <laughs> it sits in this, like, chair, Dr. Claw style, and is like, yes, this was my plan all along. So awesome. <laughs> so... After that, we take a quick detour back in Harlem to the uh, Museum of Sport, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty was was a really neat like sort of future, which has some pretty neat like you know future world stuff. Oh yeah, like a big example is like there's two big statues of boxers in the Museum of Sport, mm-hmm. and on one side it's like Muhammad Ali, and on the other side it's some al- it's some alien dude <laughs> who was oh it's Rocky, the mutant heavyweight champion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought that was really funny. Formula One racers like at the bottom, and then you go up, the the cars just get stranger and have treads and stuff, and it's like what? Yeah, and then like there's a bunch of like um like winners of like all the three minute milers and stuff like that, and it's just like a neat like oh look at this future stuff you know. There's and that's when we oh go ahead. There's one last one at the very end called spinball. Yeah, who knows? Some future future sport I'd imagine. But so we learn about the heroes' next opponents, the uh, Flying Scotsman. Then these guys are badass for all sorts of historical reasons. They really yeah. go in depth. So yeah, so we get a whole backstory <laughs> about the whole Flying Scotsman. Where apparently, once all the oil in Scotland dried up, there was nothing for the native Scots to do but get into Arrowball, building their their home stadium from disused oil derricks. Yep. But we aren't playing there, apparently. It's a home game for the heroes and the next match for the Arrowball Championship. And while we're in the Museum of Sports, too, we meet um, Angus, the, uh, <laughs> the, like the, the captain of the... Or not, not Angus, I'm sorry. Red McArdle. Oh, damn, that's right. The captain of the Scots. And, like, Red and Slim from the Harlem Heroes get in, like, a, a, a tussle at the museum. So now there's, now there's bad blood and um, which I, I really didn't understand what caused the tussle. He didn't really seem to be a, being a total jerk or anything. It was like 
he like like they were like while the heroes were in like a uh, holographic simulation of the history of Scottish Aeroball, like Red like buzzes them with his jetpack, and they're like, "Hey man, like get out of here." And he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna beat you." <laughs> and then Slim like punches him in the in the stomach, and it sends Red flying, and so now it's like bulletin board material, and everybody's pissed. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but so game gets started. Oh man, this is cool. And the Scots get to an early 6-0 lead thanks to their tough, violent play style, oh, yeah. based based sort of on the on the personal beef between Slim and Red McArdle. So at halftime, uh, Lewis, the brain in a jar member of the team, awesome. suggests yeah suggests a new strategy that the heroes employ their uh, their old school method of being fast and unpredictable which I thought was their trademark in the first place, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> but with this new um, play style, the, uh, her- the heroes pull back, at, pu- pull back to, a t- to a 6-6 tie at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. But because they're in a knockout elimination, we end these progs on the verge of a one-on-one arrow ball match to decide the winner. Uh, first to score or make their opponent quit wins. Yeah, quit. There's some kung fu gonna happen. Yeah, we'll see. You know that the continuation of this match is is in the next uh, batch of progs. Oh, so so awesome. I, there's some good stuff in for for the heroes this week. Um, there's a lot of like world building, especially mm-hmm. with Scotland, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, that was. I liked how in depth they went. It really like because you you get the sense within two issues or so like how intense they are about their team because they get like a whole. Like, I would say quarter. Uh, yeah. It's just like, Scotland! Every time they, like, score, it really reinforces this. Yeah, and we see a bunch of stuff with their, like, um, o- like how they open the um, their match by, like, using um, their, their jet packs to, like, reenact, like, a uh, an oil derrick, like, hitting a gusher and stuff like that. Yeah, it like, really captures cool. it. That, I don't know. Like... All of the story stuff was really great. I'm glad that I mean we're we now know that there are stakes. Like Sammy's down, and he was one of the yeah. like kind of recurring characters who spoke. Um, yeah, we're starting to see some more stuff with the yeah sort of with this like with this with the larger overarching plot of the heroes and stuff like mm-hmm. that of sort of making it be like relating to a bunch of them dying in the first issue and then the upcoming series and stuff. So it's interesting to see it go, for sure. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, especially that this this series has the most continuity, uh, I mean, in general, right? Like, of the yeah. there. And I like the Giants taking a stance. I like that, you know, uh, it's very clear, like, that they play better when they're angry and united. Uh, mm-hmm. You're getting, like, a nice little bit of, of uh, edge to this. Rather, I mean, it's a it's a thing about what is a future sport, right? Like, yeah, and we're talking about it as though it's a drama because it's really, really great drama. Yeah, it's dramatic, you know. Yeah. So, okay, we're at the halfway point of the thrills. So let's quickly, oh gosh, go to the non go to the non comic stuff for this round of of uh, issues. All right. Oh yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So first off, there's just letter page letters pages for all of these issues. Um. And it's mostly a lot of these at this point is sort of people either coming, either basically writing in to say that 2000 AD is great or their idea of stuff for the future and things like that. You know, it's pretty so adorable. Like, yeah, it's like Prague 11 is like the future will have like cyber organs. 
Prog 12 is, like, there'll be anti-gravity belts and all that stuff. Um, oh, and I saw a UFO. There was, like, a cigar shape. Oh, yeah, and he, like, explains what, why it was shaped that way. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, these are always, like, super charming. Um, I mean, I, I hope that all of this stuff came from actual kids and it's not just filler. But I hope so. Like, I mean, it took them a couple issues to start, or progs to start having letters mm-hmm. at all. So I imagine that, that they're at least vaguely real. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they. Uh, yeah. Apparently, British children have amazing grammar. That's all I have to say. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised. Very structured. Yeah. <laughs> these, these letters. But it yeah. does kind of give it the sense of being overstructured, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, a, a kid probably wrote it. Yeah, I mean, it might be like they clean them up for production or something. That mm-hmm. was surprise. Yeah. Uh, in Prague 13, Kid says that they enjoyed the shortening of words to like your and gotta. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, and then another kid calls Phi on the uh, physics of the heroes' jetpack, <laughs> to which I say, like, lighten up, kid. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and then we learned that uh, Tharg in- enjoys uh, solar hang gliding. Mm hmm. And this kid tr- sends in a picture that that's of a of a space woman that's not very convincing. <laughs> and then uh, Prog fourteen is a big is has a big thing for maybe the first couple hundred issues of um, two thousand AD, mm-hmm. where some kid writes in with like a a fake alien they know that's cooler than Tharg. Wow. And Tharg's like whatever. Like Tharg is the best. <laughs> 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 He's about two billion years old, but still looks nice and young. I'll have you know. <laughs> so, and um, well, the one right next to that I thought was neat because this kid wrote in and saying saying that they had made uh, him and a friend had made a flesh diorama at a model shop. Uh, right, just out of like um, dinosaur toys they found yeah. around the house or at this local store. Like that's awesome, and I could totally see someone making their own like little flesh environment. I'd like some total stuff, man. <laughs> also, especially in the letters pages, we see a lot of sort of the beginning of the conceit that thought that the office building where the company that where IPC, the company or Fleetway, I guess at this point, the company that um, publishes 2000 AD is actually Tharg's spaceship. Yeah. And everybody that works in 2000 AD is a robot. Mm-hmm. And so we see a bunch of like robot editors that are just a bunch of identical dudes in suits with umbrellas that work on the comics. Sub-editor Mark IV. <laughs> exactly. So besides the letter pages, there's some other sort of non-comic stuff in these issues. In Prague 11, there are the rules for the flesh card game. Which we need to play. Fox and I still have to have to figure out how to play this thing. It looks very complicated. Actually. <laughs> I, I saw that there was bluffing and things in it, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to... I was like, yeah, I saw that too, and I was like, oh my gosh, this might be a lot. <laughs> um, in Prague 12, there is a full page, uh, there's the cover page of the Martian Mirror newspaper, mm. which is an in-universe Dan Dare newspaper. And we see the statue for Captain Monday, which we'll get to in the next thrill. And his hair is flawless. It is. It's the most beautiful hairstyle in the entire universe. It's like a statue with long, waving hair. It's really nice. (laughs) They really did him up. They, they, you know, he would have wanted it this way. In uh, in Prague 13, Tharg reviews some computer robot suggestions. Mm -hmm. And they are moderate at best. Yeah. But they're, it says they're all designed by the readers, which makes me assume that they sent in, like, descriptions that 
the that, that like the artists at 2000 AD ended up doing the drawing for. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, and I think they they actually say designed by this kid, right? So it's like yeah, Chris and, yeah, that's what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that it's designed by, and then the you know they didn't actually send in art; they just sent in descriptions, and then the actual artist did the heavy lifting. You know. Well, so it's like it's sentences like this. I do not think very much. I am war robot first class. You got an enemy. I'll slash him. <laughs> I feel like that's probably a kid, and this is yeah. adorable. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's very endearing. They're they're yeah. definitely into making comic books for children who like laser guns and dinosaurs ripping each other apart. <laughs> hey, children of all ages who like that. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> um, then. Prague 14 has just has kind of a I think it's actually is a kid's picture of like a Martian ghost city or something which is kind of fun mm-hmm. and that in turn takes us to thrill for yes. Dan Dare I may actually be excited for this one just Dan- a tiny bit man yeah I I don't know man so it's like so it starts real quick with uh, Captain Monday from Dan Dare flying into the sun. And vaporizing along with all the biog ships and stuff. Yeah, fuck the biogs. Yeah, so the biogs are biogs are dead. Captain Monday's a hero. Dan Dare is court martial. <laughs> Which, and I, I want to be very fucking clear. He absolutely. I mean, it took them this fucking long. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, why is he court martialed for all that stuff he did? Yes. He killed a lot. He killed several like Federation or whatever. I don't know what they call it, but like you know. This this league that they're in, yeah. Dandere killed a, a, a couple dudes to take control to what, getting aboard Monday's ship to start this whole thing up, and then by taking them there, murdered the entire ship. Yeah, and just it's funny because there's another one of these sort of officious high-ranking guys yep. that are like, ah, oh, Dandere, <laughs> like you did all this stuff, <clears throat> and you are the one that um that pr- provoked the Biogs to attack us and stuff. I kind of agree with this guy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, he is a big like reason for all of this. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like hand waved away in the next page, where you know Susan Scientist or whatever the hell her name is is just like, oh, but they already totally knew where we were, so you were wrong. It's like no, he murdered people, his own people. Yeah, yeah, and so and he says that like, hey, like. I would just want Monday, who sacrificed himself, to be the, as big a hero as he can. Yeah. It's because of his sacrifice, and that's fine, too. But, so noble. But, yeah, but basically, Dan Dare is out of the, out of the uh, service. He's got to go on his own. And waiting in <clears throat> the uh, in the background is the Mekon, oh, which I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they look, maybe it just sounded cooler on paper for them. Um, <laughs> but so, this dude's... Definitely double evil. I love Mekon. Oh, yeah. It's so good. But so, so that's basically the first prog. Like, uh, Monday dies, Dandere's drummed out of the service, he goes out on his own. All right? After that, the next three progs basically tell two stories, okay? The first one is about Dandere. Uh, Dandere visits England in the future, which is now an island, uh, like a wild island orbital park. Yeah, it's weird. Like they say that the whole island of England of of Britain or maybe of, like of like all the of like the British Isles are now uh, in fl- floating in space as a satellite, which is what <laughs> as like a big park. Yeah, 
And they've allowed the whole thing to kind of go back to nature. So it's just a couple like landmarks like Big Ben and like 10 Downing Street sort of poking out among like just all these like trees and uh, green fields and stuff. It's, I mean, it's exactly, exactly what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very strange scene. Yeah. Yeah. Future England is weird. And so while Dan is there, he meets up, he meets a dog man named Rock and 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 Dare ends up becoming the navigator on the freighter Rock works on, the Titan. Uh, the Titan is old and busted and run by Captain O'Grady, who's a, uh, a space guy who's got an amoeba on his shoulder really like a parrot. Like this guy. <laughs> yes, the amoeba on his shoulder talks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it does. It basically serves as the parrot character. Yeah, it's total parrot. So... On their first jump to hyperspace, the ship malfunctions. At least one crew member is killed by an un- by uncontrolled relativity as they go to light, to light speed. Which is fucked. Yeah. And the damaged ship has to land on a planet orbiting inside a relatively cool red giant sun. Which, you know. I don't know. Yeah. As you do, I guess. <laughs> Meanwhile, simultaneously a bunch of space mutants capture a derelict starship and inside find the Mekon. So awesome. So the Mekon is this little green dude that basically looks like the uh, Mars Attacks aliens, let's say. <laughs> Pretty much for But, like, maybe, but just with a big head as opposed to an exposed brain, you know? Mm-hmm. But he is apparently a bad dude, like the big bad from previous Dan Dare stories and stuff. They, so, yeah. And... and and he's a little guy who sits on top of like this flying saucer thing. It is and just sort of boom, just just sort of boom, boom. Nah, fuck. I can't do it. <laughs> sort of goes like you know, boom, uh, just sort of bubbles around. Yeah, exactly. I'm my my lips are beans right now. <laughs> but yeah, it makes that sound. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they find him in a in a space prison that was built just for him. Yeah, it's like they put him just sort of in a spaceship and then kicked it out into the void, like never to be, re- never to return. Good way to get rid of somebody. Yeah, so he's taken. To, so the Mekons taken to the rulers of the space mutants. This guy called the uh, Two of Verath, which is awesome. This guy is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. So so the Two of Verath is this two-headed giant, and like the two heads have different personalities, which is awesome. Yeah. Like, one is, um, one's really angry and hates Mekon. The other is, like, clever and hires Mekon on as their henchman. And Mekon starts planning to conquer the Galactic Empire by disrupting cra- trade routes. Oh, yeah. That seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I mean, have you bankrupt an empire is probably by bankrupting it first. Yeah. And Mekon is a pretty solid bad guy. He, mm. he hits all the bad guy notes. He, uh, he kills his own men. <laughs> In this case, a space pirate that looks like a frilled lizard. <laughs> To show how evil evil he is, and a space buck. Yeah, they kill a bunch. Of, yeah, they kill a bunch of, of of their own dudes, which is good times. The prog ends with Mekon being all evil and then saying he's only been defeated once by Dan Dare. Must surely be dead by now. Yep. And like I thought, this was pretty decent. So uh, highlight for me is yeah. they they really only talk about it for about like three quarters of a panel, but uh-huh. he signs on with these mutants. And then they're like, he's like, how can you trust your weird men who follow you? And they're like, oh, dude, don't worry about it. There's this, they're this race of aliens, uh, the Skosh, 
they just want to kill shit. So as long as we just point them in a direction, they're like, cool, we're chill. And they build these guns, and each gun is different, to be put on top of their bodies that are their guns that they're super proud of, and they just murder shit with it. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, the Scotches are real, are, are crazy, like, gelatinous monster guys. With uh, mouths on their tummies. Yeah, mouths on their tummies, guns strapped to their heads. Oh, they see with their hands. Their hands have eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I like... Big. Yeah, but so this whole, like, these four issues, like, added some world-building to Dan Dare. Mm-hmm. It gave him some chances to fail. Like, Mekon came in and was just super evil and really not, and really good in a way that the, that, like, the biogs that we had previously couldn't be, I think, just based on their sort of alien nature. Yeah, they know? were super weird. And so I feel like, actually, like, these sections fix a lot of, fix a, a couple of the problems that, that I had with Dan Dare. You know so, what I mean? Yeah, so this is the first issue, or the first month, that we've read where Dan Dare has not actually gotten someone murdered by his own hand. Now, we did mention a guy was killed because of his time displacement, and if he touched anything, they, those people would also go forward through time at like a jillion minutes a second. Right. Whatever. Fuck it, it doesn't matter. Fact is, is that the entire time, Dan Deere was actually yelling at the captain like, dude, we should fix this before we start punching it because something bad will happen. Yeah. bad happened. Which is almost yeah, always the Dan Deere thing, but he didn't kill anybody this, this run. Yeah, definitely let the uh, let Captain O'Grady be the, sort of the heavy instead of Dan Dare mm-hmm. having to be a bad having to be the heavy and be the good guy, which is a weird combination. Yeah, you know what I mean. <clears throat> so uh, I think that was kind of just a general reprieve, but we also spent a very large amount of time checking out cool mutants, uh, yeah, pirates that were actually frilled lizards, um, buck yeah. people, weird aliens. It's the stuff that actually makes this interesting, as opposed to Dan Dare, who is, you know, vanilla ice cream. Yeah, but, you know, I feel like the, the fact that they've shifted their focus to that means that they're trying to improve this Dan Dare a little bit, which I appreciate. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I honestly, I did not detest it this time, which... Hey, I, all right. I mean, I don't know what that really means, but uh, it was not the worst fucking thing. Hey, sounds good to me. Hey, let's go. Let's move on to Thrill 5, Mach 1. Mach 1! So Mach 1 is the only thrill that isn't making any effort to tell linked stories in this set of progs. Yeah. And the ran- and because of that, sort of the random nature of Progs' adventures is making them feel kind of samey to me, I guess. Yeah. Although there's still, like, room for ridiculous stuff, you know? But, I mean, that, like, quite honestly... And it's, oh God, it's really hard to say this. So, uh, really enjoyed the first one, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, yeah. for one particular reason. But the fourth <laughs> one really steals it, and for maybe the worst kind of reasons. Yeah, Prog 14 is pretty reprehensible for Mach 1. But, but let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the first thrill is basically like a six-and-a-half-page advertisement for the 1977 Ashton Martin Lagonda, yeah. <laughs> which is a terrifyingly expensive car that, to me at least, looks pretty crappy, honestly. Oh, really? Man, it's like $100,000. Holy fuck, really? Yeah. No. And they just I'm gonna, crush it in this. 
It gets, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up right now on, on the internet. I'm actually right? curious because the things that he does to this... That's part, why he keeps he keeps saying, like... Yeah, I'm not going to mess it up or I'm not... I don't want to mess up this beautiful Laganda and stuff. But, I mean, one, it's an Ashton Martin, so it's always expensive, you know? Yeah. Like... You just driving it as fast as you are is probably already the worst. So, like, I'm looking up, like, an Ashton Martin Laganda on Google. The first one that comes up is one from 1984, but it looks basically the same as this one, yeah. and it's $115,000. That is so much money. <laughs> and, like... Okay. Right. But like it just looks like a it looks like a car. Yeah, it looks like a car from like nineteen seventy seven. You know what I mean? Yes, it's it's <laughs> even got like the the stupid like um it's like a little like the, box hood ornament, right? Like yeah, it look good. Like the Jaguar always looks good, or fucking I don't know, just not that. But so it's a luxury car from an era where luxury cars look terrible, <laughs> and Mach ones in this car that um. And he's got to go. To, he's he's got to drive a diplomat from like Eastern Europe to Paris in uh, go twelve hundred miles in twelve hours. And it's basically just a big show of the car going super fast. At one hundred forty-five. Yeah. Um, as the vehicle's onboard computer disagrees with Mach One's computer, <laughs> and as the Lagonda blasts past all the other big luxury cars. Oh yeah. No, and they pointed like, it out too. They it's like Porsche. Like there's a lot of like yeah like there's a big driving montage and there's parts where it's like overtake like overtake that Lamborghini mm-hmm. or Porsche 911 in front overtake at 110 miles per hour. It's just you like know? it's so so amazing. Yeah, on the on the way as they get closer, they um are attacked by motorcycle uh bad guys. Yeah, who try to shoot up his car. Yeah, and then to escape. Uh, probe dri- drives through an empty box car of a train, <laughs> because which reasons. really, yeah, which mi- lets him lose the bad guys, but really messes up the car. So then he's got to do super speed car fixing because <laughs> he knows how to fix the car. Yeah, and Mach One makes it in time, although the car is destroyed and the diplomat is permanently traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so other thrills are um, oh, lasers. Mach One fights an American-made laser tank, <laughs> laser which requires tank. him... Yeah, it requires him to strip down to his boxers and rip the laser tank apart with his bare hands. I mean, really, that's a really great way to describe all of this, because the rest of it is just really boring. Yeah, and, you know, that that issue is for the ladies. It's got <laughs> and stuff. He does get he, a bit uh, sexy with his just boxers on. <laughs> he, uh, he thwarts a terrorist attack on a nuclear blimp, Flying into New York City. That's right. And that one involves the lead terrorist being thrown into the propeller at the back of the blimp. Which, and awesome. that's gotta hoit. Yeah, awesome. But this was the most boring one. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the craziest one is the is is in okay. fourteen, where 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 John Probe flies to communist China undercover as a member of the British national ping pong team. Which, God, I mean, really. Yeah, it's to steal secret food production plans from the Chinese government. Because we all need food. His reasoning is, like, really bizarre. It's like, well, we need food, but we need it as much as those red Chinese do. Yeah, we can't let them just hold the food production technology. That belongs to everybody. There you go. And there he meets Shan Qing, master of Qi. Qi, apparently... Go ahead. Just Qi. 
Yeah. Well, cheese the thing that apparently lets mothers lift cars off their endangered babies and stuff. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? Whatever. <laughs> well, Anyhow. Facts. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the two fight to a standstill. Kind of. Like, they just sort it's of trade blows. It was advertised. <laughs> but then, because they fight to a standstill, this drives Shang-Chin, Shang who is uh, really vain and like, I am one of a million, I am the great Shang-Chin. It drives him insane. Yeah, it's it's really and he just kind of becomes like a a mewling like wreck on the ground. Yeah, or no, I'm sorry, he he does like that yep. like thing. And, and none of it makes sense. <laughs> and like, there, man, there's one part where he says that like you're like you've mastered chi, but like I've mastered a another um, Asian art of like acupuncture. <laughs> yeah, acupuncture. And it's weird. It's <laughs> fucking... But so he just managed to sort of outlast um, Shang-Chin, I guess. Yeah, it says, I too find strength from an ancient Chinese art. The, ac- the art of acupuncture. Your little game of chess has ended in stalemate. <laughs> it's like there was jokes in there about playing chess, even though it was just a bunch of kung fu people like fighting him. That, so it was on a big like black and white like chessboard for some yeah, reason. Yeah, it uh, just... All right, all right. So, and 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 is it racist? Oh, baby, oh, it, it's super it's racist. It's really racist. <laughs> like, imagine Goro, but he's a Chinese man. <laughs> Basically, yeah, he's got like a top knot and everything. It's really fucking. It's just bad. It's really yep. terrible and super racist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but like, so you know, Mach One remains kind of like agreeably silly. But man, I'd love like an actual story in Mach One instead of just maybe some vague overtones of one and um, but everything not being linked together. You know? Yeah. The big thing is that the captured blimp story confirms that Mach One takes place in the far off year of 1988. So be aware of that. Oh yeah. Now we have placement. Well, I mean, so that's the thing is. All right, so we're out of we're out of the frogs at this point, right? No, we got one more. We got oh. one more thrill. All right, I've got to remember. Oh, that's right. How could I forget? Jesus, that's shocking. I know. I know. It's the worst. Thrill six. So bad. Judge Dread. God. The robot war is on, Fox. Dude, yes, just all yeses to everything about this. Uh, this gets so. Good. Yeah, this is the first big storyline for. Call me Kenneth returns. Yeah. It starts with Dredd quitting the judges because they won't enforce harsh new re- restrictions on the robots of Mega City 1. I mean, he has good cause. Yeah, but they can't do that. I mean, it would it would add to the citizens' 10-hour work week. Womp, womp, womp. Meanwhile, on TV, a robot doctor um, that is like a doctor of robots, but he's a human. A doctor he's, of robots. Yeah, it's true. he's trying to... Yeah. He's trying to fix Call, Call Me Kenneth on live TV after upgrading robo, uh, Call Me Kenneth's body quite a bit, including like a third eye <laughs> and super strength and stuff. Time. Yeah. Oh, no. It's actually instead everything goes wrong immediately. Uh, Call Me Kenneth wakes up early and goes on a murder rampage. Yep. He kills the, the staff of the robot hospital on, on live TV and starts inspiring other robots to do the same, including a butler droid na- named Graham who throws his masters out the window. I loved... Yeah, okay. So when he just responded to them, no, master, Graham will listen to Call Me Kenneth. 
And he's just sort of saying like kill fleshy ones. Mm-hmm. It's it's so it's so like Bender, like, hey sexy mama, wanna kill all humans? <laughs> it's really great. Oh no, also it was the next bold. it was the next page where all yeah. of the robo businessmen come out. Well, it's all the robot editors, right? Oh <laughs> they're the same robot editors that we've seen Tharg yelling at. And if you look at who they're attacking, this guy, you only see him from the back, but he looks pretty Thargy, if you ask me. Yeah. He's got like sort of the coat with the epaulets and like the hair coming down the back and stuff like that. Dude, awesome. And it seems like uh, t- 2099 Th- Tharg may in fact be killed by his own robot and robot editors <laughs> in the uh, robot war. But also there's just a lot of like generally robots throwing people off roofs and things like that. Oh yeah. Or just smashing all things or crushing people. Yeah. So the robots are on a rampage. Luckily, Dredd comes back to retake his badge and lead the fight against the robots. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. He leads an army of judges against them, but their success is moderate as the robots are tough and built to last, especially the seemingly invulnerable construction robots, the heavy metal kids. Oh yeah, man. The heavy metal kid is the robot for you. Yeah. They sing, march, march, into the fight. We'll crush the fleshy ones tonight. (laughs) Call me Kenneth, says it's right for slaves to kill their masters. So awesome. (laughs) So Judge Dredd nearly collapses fighting all these robots. Like, he's wearied and fatigued, but eventually he resolves to cut the head off the snake and do a one-man commando raid against Call Me Kenneth. But against the wishes of his very definitely not racist Italian maid. (laughs) She insists that he stay in bed and eat some of her minestrone, but he has no time for such foolishness. Why why don't you rest, uh, Judge Dredd? Dude. (laughs) But so... It turns out that it's actually a one-man, one-robot raid. Mm-hmm. As Dredd takes along the one loyal robot, the vending machine, uh, Walter. Who now has a lisp. In fear for his life, Walter has developed a lisp. A lisp. And Fox, <laughs> I hope you think that lisp is pretty goddamn funny, because we're going to be seeing a lot of it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Really? The pair is soon caught, and and Walter is sent to work on the assembly line, while Call Me Kenneth gets all super villainy with Judge Dredd. He's going to put Judge Dredd's brain in a robot body. Oh, no. Kind of an awesome way to go, if you ask me. If I had to go. Yeah. Hey, hey Fox, uh, is Call Me Kenneth evil? Uh, You know, I think the part where he said that he idolized Adolf Hitler pretty much solidified it for me. He is a big fan of Adolf Hitler. Yes, I'm a big fan. It's so on the nose. But so we end this week with uh, Dred's handcuffs being destroyed by Walter and Walter possibly about to lead a revolt of robots disgruntled with Call Me Kenneth's rule. We'll find out next week, I guess. Uh, Which, by the way, the series ends with a beautiful uh, color print. Um, Like, I really love it when they apply colors to this. It makes it feel very Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Also, the handcuffs were a robot that offered to send yeah. to him after getting beaten. Yeah, they're definitely... Ro- yeah, the robots have robot handcuffs. Why wouldn't they? And, well, what I found... Taunt you as you're caught. What I found <laughs> funny is it's like, hey, man, I'm not, like, heartless. Like, I, I could at least sing to you or something, and then... <laughs> or, like... Uh, and then they just play play maybe. Like, the rope, like, it, it helps to play, like, I Spy or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Then Walter gets it with the highly corrosive acid. Yep. Just spill that on him. All right. <laughs> Bye. All right. So we're out of the thrills, Fox. All right. Well, What's your top and bottom thrill for this week? So, God, there's just so much that I want to talk to you about. Please. Because, so, I'm starting to get the sense, and maybe I should have just figured this from the start of this, but uh, I'm pretty sure all of these are linked in terms of timeline. Because we know that Harlem Heroes takes place at the same time as Judge Dredd. It takes, no, it takes place like 50 years earlier. There you go. Like, Harlem Heroes is 2050, Judge Dredd is 2099 right now. Um, Flesh takes up whenever they have time travel, which... In the 23rd century, so the 2200s. There you go. So, like, we have this very clear timeline where none of them really mesh together except for certain circumstances. Like, mm-hmm. Mach 1 is your earliest at this point, I believe. Yeah. Uh, then comes Invasion, right? So I'm starting yep. to see, like, how these things unfold, because in Mach 1, it's like there's some spy stuff going on, but nothing too crazy. Uh, but then there's this war in 1999 where, like... Canada and the U.S. are like, hey, we're trying to figure out how to help you guys, but that Volgan invasion is serious, and then you sort of get the sense yeah. of the future. So I'm liking that uh, from a stylistic standpoint, um, but as you said, I'm kind of not super loving Mach 1. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, like, obviously I'm always going to enjoy it in some sense because it's a thing, but man, it was fucking boring this month. Like... Yeah, I just feel like uh, Mach 1's my bottom thrill this month, too. And I just feel like, um, I, unlike the other stories, I feel like it isn't developing at all. It's just kind of telling the same, like, it's four unlinked stories. They're basically all kind of the same story. Well, so, like, and so, I wish there was more effort to get more plot, either more plot or just sort of lo- try to do some longer storytelling and stuff like that, just to give us, like, a sense of, like, what Probe's up to and things yeah, like that. Yeah, probably to be a little less racist, you know? I mean, you know... It's asking a lot of, like, <laughs> in all these old comics I do, like, in the 70s and stuff, like, it's just, they don't have a conception, you know, no, no one has a conception of it at that point. You I know? guess. Well, it's weird. Yeah, so there's, I mean, the blimp was, would have been the coolest one if it weren't so fucking boring. Like, if you, I don't know, I, I compare this almost strictly with Invasion always, because that's kind of how both of them started for these sort of disjointed things. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, Invasion, even now it's developing a storyline, which I don't think is necessarily a huge differentiating factor, because even when it wasn't, I was really enjoying Invasion just being these vignettes of a dude with a shotgun. Yeah. I'm not, like, I don't know what's wrong with Mach 1. He's he's fighting things. He's going places. Yeah. I just think it's especially also because he's super-powered, unlike, he, he's explicitly super-powered, mm-hmm. unlike um, Bill Savage. Where when when Savage like ki- like kills ten dudes and just sort of maniacally cackles as he shotguns people and stuff because he's a regular dude, it makes it all the more ridiculous mm. and whatever. But when Mach One is sort of running at super speed and whatever, it means that you know of course he's going to beat all these guys. He's like he's got the strength of fifty men, you know. See, so I mean, it's almost like it's having a Dandera effect. Like, yeah, he's a little the guy. Bit. And everyone watch out, because if you get in the way of the guy, everything's going to be worse. Basically. Yeah. Not really Not really digging him. I hear you. So what's your top thrill this week? <sighs> All right, so it's a little tough. 
So I'm going to talk at least about the ones that really snagged me. So clearly, uh, Flesh was out there, man. It's so, so fucking good right now. Um, for all sorts of reasons. Like, there's just a bunch of death going on. There's not a lot of words. Um, there's still a lot of, like, tension, what with there being, like, a main bad guy and kind of, like, these sub-bad dudes who just kind of ruin the day. Um, but you're really just there to see all the fucking awesome fights that are going on, and it really plays to that well. Invasion, as usual, just really fucking, for whatever reason, knocked it out of the park this week. Um, like, really solid stuff, and it, it didn't feel overplayed. It's not getting boring, <laughs> mostly because Savage is just such a really likable guy for being a complete, like, asshole with a shotgun just a homicidal maniac. He's yeah. really a, a, a agreeable homicidal maniac or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> um, Judge Dredd was great. Call Me Kenneth is a great villain. I love it. Um, like, fucking Dredd's just really starting to fill out into his own now. I'm really... Yeah. I can't wait for when he actually starts developing a character that isn't just what they're showing us now. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Dare was fine. I'm just going to gloss over that. Like... Yes, dude, I'm sorry. He has to prove it to me. This has to keep getting sure. better, or else I'm just putting myself out there to get hurt by this, this man who does not love anyone except <laughs> the murder of millions. Um, so that leaves us with Harlem Heroes, and Harlem Heroes is really fucking good right now. Like, I can't yeah. wait to read the next one. Um, I don't get that out of Invasion. Uh, if that makes sense, like I'm not like, ooh, what's the next thing? You're interested like, to see like what's going to happen in this one-on-one match. Yeah, at the end of the uh, of the Scotsman game and stuff. Yeah, I just don't feel like any of the continuity stories really gripped me the same way as Harlem Heroes. Harlem Heroes had this just really great layout. I like that Giant's getting a little bit more of a character than leader guy. Yeah. Um, there's something else going on. Uh, you know, it's probably one of the more heartfelt stories, even though it takes place in a super fictitious, like it might as well be super fantasy world. It's much more like grounded human drama with like feelings mm. and and important weights and gravity, right? Like the rest of these are so comedy, yeah. but this one is like a, a vignette a, a week. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of that's my my favorite for that reason. Cool, I got a lot out of it this week, and I can't wait to read more of them. Awesome. Yeah, I thought for me, my my top thrill is probably Dread. Yeah. Just because this storyline is just it's the first big Dread storyline, and it's really sort of it becomes sort of a, a piece of things to come. Yeah. And I'm really just excited for Dread to kind of become Dread. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's and then, certainly not bad in my. Yeah, and then also I want to give uh, Dan Dare most improved thrill. I feel <laughs> yes. like it's, yeah. it's it's moving along, and I'm hoping that it gets a little better. It's gonna its format's gonna mix up a little bit mm-hmm. over the next couple months, but um, I think it's sort of finding its legs to an extent. Well, it definitely feels um, right. Yeah, cool. All right, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at Gmail. Next week, Bill Savage continues to shotgun everything ever in Invasion. Uh, The Harlem Heroes once again face off with the evil cyborg Gruber. Dan Dare and the Mekon investigate a hollow planet. Both Flesh and Judge Dredd will reach the thrilling conclusions of their respective storylines. And Mach 1 fistfights some fucking yetis. (laughs) God bless until next time, when when dig for a three.
I'm the Mekong. Now hear my plan on how we shall take over the Galactic Empire. The leaders will assemble to argue about what is to be done. And it is then we shall strike them down. Without leaders, the Federation will be at our mercy.